Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, April 1st, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And no, I will not be playing any jokes on you today. Simply a straightforward show, just like every weekday. And our goal, as always, is to help you make better financial decisions. And I thank you for joining me today. And I hope you will call with your questions and keep us moving along on topics that you care about. It could be an individual stock, it might be a strategy that you've read about or been contemplating about, or maybe even executing in some way. Maybe it's a sector of the market that you you like over uh, or you're thinking about allocating more of your portfolio to. Maybe it's just simply a term or a concept that you want to know more about. Whatever it is, if it's money, finance related, I want to hear from you. I want to know what's on your mind. And obviously, there's no requirement that you call. But if you do participate, it will help shape the show to your liking. And our goal, as always, is to help you achieve financial freedom. And that's in your own specific way. And we're going to help you, over time, figure that out. Most people don't know. Uh, It kind of reminds me of college. When you get to college and you say, I kind of know what I want to do, but you don't really know exactly what you want to do for a little while, at least through you get through a few years, maybe into the workforce and you transition into careers that a career that you really like uh, or at least can tolerate. (laughs) And so in the financial freedom side, it's the same thing. It's, you know, you want to have enough money to do whatever you want, but what is that? Uh, Okay. And you want to be able to take advantage of every moment as opposed to spending that working. So that is our goal for you. And we do that using a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. And if you're listening right now, maybe you're in front of a computer, you can watch on our YouTube live stream right now. Now today, on this hour, I'm going to do my best to help you forge a path to that financial freedom. And our lines are open, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's take a look at some market news. Uh, the ISM manufacturing number came in today. Market was higher, it was higher than March, in March versus February. And construction construction spending was up. This goes back to what I've been saying for the last couple of months. Since rates really took it uh, to the downside, and the mortgage rates went from five. Remember back late last year, mortgage rates were about five percent. Now we're down to about four percent. That is a large drop in the cost of money. That's about a twenty percent drop in the cost of money. And it's going to affect the real estate market the most. And this is where you're going to now start getting a tailwind as opposed to a headwind uh, for real estate activity, at least. Now, our prices are going to turn the corner, probably not because of comps. Uh, You're not going to see a big move, uh, I don't think, in prices, but at least you're going to see a lot more activity. Uh, And that's what you're seeing with the construction spending. 
and it shows that this dovish pit by pivot by the Fed has given some life uh, to the economy that was severely slowing. Doesn't mean it's not slowing; it may be just slowing a little bit less. Now, if you look at the retail sales report, that was a different story. 41,000 people in the retail space lost their jobs in the first three months of 2019. Obviously, Amazon is a factor in that, but part of that is lower retail spending. Retail spending fell uh, in February versus the month prior, and that's really the big issue here. Okay, Now, China also came out with news. They had, it was, it was interesting. China's news was very positive that their uh, manufacturing sector has turned around and there's maybe a change in trend in China. But if you look at South Korean exports, and if you look, there's actually a, a strong correlation between South Korean exports and earnings in the S&P 500. Well, why is that? Do you know if you know anything about South Korea, you'll know that they produce a lot, a lot of electronic type products and components. So batteries, uh, chips, motors, things like that that go into a lot of goods, especially electronics. And so for the last 20 years or so, there's been a strong correlation to the exports in South Korea and earnings on the S&P 500. So that was worse than expected. And so it was interesting to see that dichotomy between China and South Korea, which and the big question is, which one do you believe, I guess would be the main question, right? So that's uh, really what is uh, on my mind today is the economic numbers that are coming out of not only our country, but abroad as well. Now there's and also a giant elephant on the trading floor that many people are having trouble ignoring, and that is the Lyft IPO. And we're going to talk about this little a little bit more in depth, but basically th- today was the second day that Lyft traded, and it's now below the IPO price. And the big question is, how does this portend to the IPOs that are coming down the pipeline, the other unicorns that are trading in the private market at over a billion dollars in valuation, are they really worth that much? You know, Lyft came out at about a $20 billion valuation. It's already below that. Now the big question is, how does this affect the the NASDAQ, the, the broader markets when all of these private companies that have high paper wealth actually come to market and Wall Street starts to discount their valuation rather quickly like Lyft. So if it's a one-time event, no big deal, but if this starts to become a trend and it kind of, if you if you look at the past three or four years, it's starting to become a trend with a lot of these IPOs. So that's really on the mind of investors as well today. So those are the big news events that I want to, that, that uh, people are talking about so we can talk about those or we can talk about anything else that's on your mind. I also have some other ones as well and I can tell there's a lot of interest in these market news events today. But first let's grab a question from our anytime listener line at 88899 chart. Hello Steve and Justin. Love the show. I got a question for you about Green Dot Corporation, ticker GDOT. I took a position and it's 
gone south, and I just wanted to see if you could look at it. I'm thinking about doubling down and buying more, but if you see something wrong, I'll, I'll just let it stay how it is, or maybe I should sell it. Just wanted to get your point of view on it. Thanks a lot. All right, he's looking at Green Dot Corporation, and this is a, a name that has come down a, a great deal. It's 52-week high. Let me take a quick look at the chart, which uh, you'll be able to see on the YouTube live stream. It was a high of $92.50, and now we're at $61.90 just a few months later, and that is not not necessarily a great thing. <laughs> uh, in just a quick amount of time, it hasn't recovered with the overall market. I believe this is the one. Let's see what they do. It's a financial technology company that provides financial services for consumers in the United States without good banking options. I believe yeah, this is the Walmart uh, option, and and there this is coming up for renewal. Their contract is coming up for renewal with Walmart, and I think that's a lot of the. The worry about this name is, are they going to renew with Walmart? Is Walmart going to maybe have some sort of a partnership with a different type of company and maybe a larger bank? Maybe they, they do it themselves. They come out with their own uh, type of financial services solution that X's out Green Dot. So I, if you already have a position, I wouldn't be adding to it because of that worry. And if you look at the chart... Yes, it's bounced here from the mid-50s into the low-60s, but it's not a very strong bounce. Uh, and all the major moving averages are pointing down, the 200, the 100, and the 50-day moving average, which I don't like that as well. And so, it's and it's an expensive valuation. Right now, it is, let's look at its enterprise value to EBITDA, is, I guess that's only 10. That's not uh, too high, but like I said, if they don't renew, this stock is going to really, really get hammered. So be careful, keep it a small portion of your portfolio. And honestly, the chart is telling me that they will not renew. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein and I hope you have the date set. A reminder for Steve Peasley, he will be returning to San Jose, California on May 1st. So if you live in the Northern California region, I encourage you to sit down for a no-cost portfolio review consultation with Steve. He will be going over listener portfolios, client portfolios, and suggesting ways we can you know, make adjustments to improve the performance, improve the results. Once again, that's Wednesday, May 1st. So today's April 1st. It's one month from today. You can register now at investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. It's a fast-moving Invest Talk Monday, and we're already in the second quarter of 2019. You want unbiased investing guidance, right? Of course you do, because it can help you achieve financial freedom. So Justin is here taking your calls live. Step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, our main talking point today is why you shouldn't retire super early, even if you can. So, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of the whole financial freedom game. You know, what does it really mean to you? So, we're going to hash out some of the uh, pros, cons, 
as well as the things you need to be thinking about if you are to retire, whether that's early, whether that's uh, when you're 65, or maybe even after. So we're going to touch on what that transition might look like and see how we can fit it for you. Now, some of the other topics I have on the schedule as well. Once again, the Lyft IPO. This is uh, is it is the big question is is this a worrying sign for other unicorns that are going public over the next 12 months or so? I think that'll be interesting as well. And then I also I think this is a great topic. This was a survey by TD Ameritrade, who's actually the broker for uh, our client accounts, or at least the majority of our client accounts, and. They found out that there's one thing, one single factor that goes into whether individuals are able to save a lot more than average. They skimp on one area of their spending, and this drives the vast majority of that ability to save a lot more. And as we talk about regularly, saving is even more important than investing. So we're going to talk about that. And then lastly, if we get to it, maxing out a 401k, that's a next step, right? And uh, what do you do with that extra saving? So we're going to talk about how to max out your 401k a little bit easier. So those are the things that are on my mind. I want to know what's on your mind. I want to hear from you. That's the most important thing is what are you thinking about? Stocks, sectors, asset classes, concepts, strategies, Whatever it is, I want to hear from you. Let's look at the market today. Strong up day. Nice strong up day in the market after a pretty volatile uh, last week. And the queues were up about one and three quarters per or one and one third percent. The transportation index was up over two percent, definitely a positive. S&P up 1.2. Small caps lagged again, one, up 1.08 percent. So overall, not a big a nice positive green day. And above kind of the resistance level, but we've kind of gotten there a couple times over the past few weeks. And that's overall, that's a positive. Once you hit a resistance level and you keep smacking it and and, and you stay around that level, eventually it's going to break through if it stays there long enough. However, every time it's kind of gotten above that, it's been on pretty low, a below average volume. Today was about a 20% below average on the volume from the last 90 days. So it just shows you that there's not a lot of conviction, a lot of strength behind these thrusts higher above that kind of 2800 number on the S&P. So we still remain in this, I think the market's really trying to decide, is the dovish pivot dovish enough? Or do they need to start cutting rates? I think is uh, something the market is trying to figure out. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I believe that every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance. In the words of a wildly popular 1980s song, it's just another manic Monday. And in today's market, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Well, you've come to the right place. Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. So step up with your questions. 888 99Chart. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. As you get through and ask your question on today's show, and I encourage you to do it sooner rather than later. We've about thirty minutes left in the show, but first let's get into our main talking point today, and that's whether you should retire early, even if you can. Now, 
retirement brings a lot of change in some in someone's life and the most underestimated aspect of that i believe is emotionally the emotional change that comes with not having obligations not having people depend on you for whatever job that you might have right and many have some sort of identity crisis when they have to give up their their job at a particular firm or a particular company uh, and they don't see they don't feel as valued as they did before right and it can be great to be carefree and not have any care in the world but it's also nice to be counted on and valued, right? We all want to be valued as human beings in some way, shape, or form, right? So if you're somebody who's outgoing and you like to be around people, that also could be a big issue, right? Jobs are a natural place where you go and you interact and you maybe go for happy hour or go to birthday parties and events and things like that. and in retirement, you're not interacting with nearly as many people, right? So that goes back to why you need to have constant hobbies and things that occupy your time and give you some satisfaction, both not in not only just accomplishments, but in those personal interactions. Now, maybe you're a person who doesn't, maybe you don't like to interact with people, but most people uh, are social. We're social beings, right? And we tend to like that social interaction. So that's something you definitely have to consider as well. Uh, so it's one thing to live comfortably, and that's really your goal for financial freedom. But just having enough money isn't going to bring you happiness, okay? Now, the next hurdle you have to get over is fear of the unknown, right? If you, especially if you're retiring early in your 40s or 50s, well, what about your health 20 years from now? Do you have enough money to get through a, a major health event 15, 20 years from now? Will the market go south to a level where you don't have enough to sustain yourself? And then also, if you're retiring early, you're giving up a lot of your earning years, right? Your earning years, because your main earning years are kind of uh, 40s and 50s. Typically, it depends if you're a, a worker that sits behind a desk or somebody who's more labor intensive, right? And then a lot of that money is going to go towards Social Security. So if you're Social Security dependent, if you don't work for from 45 to 65, that's going to drastically change your benefit, right? So don't think that your Social Security is going to be the same if you just stop working for the next 20 years, okay? Because Social Security is, like when you go to the Social Security website, get their estimate, they're expecting you to continue to work. Then also, what about the other benefits of being employed, like health insurance, uh, 401k match, things like that that are going to now suddenly become large expenses for you. So those are all things that you need to consider when you're going into this planning for retirement, whether it's early or it's late. So you obviously have to work hard, you have to save a lot, but you need to ask yourself specific important questions 
that hit to the heart of what's life going to be like in retirement. Now let's grab a caller question. This came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Jake from Harrisburg, PA. I'm calling about Six Flags, uh, symbol S-I-X. This has been on my watch list for what seems like forever, but I'm thinking it might have double bottomed at this point. I am attracted to the dividend. I also think that the price at this point seems uh, more reasonable than it's been in the past. I'm thinking about buying, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks. All right, he's looking at Six Flags Entertainment, SIX is the symbol. And this is another name that hasn't recovered its 2018 high, which was around the $73, $74 level. Now we're at $49.60, bottom around $47. Let's go to a weekly chart. If you're on the YouTube live stream, you'll be able to see this. And it's below the weekly 200-week moving average. That's not good. And you're starting to see the 50-week and the 100-week point down. So technically, it's definitely in a downtrend. On the monthly, also trying to roll over, and that doesn't look very strong. So technically, it looks very, very weak. Now, fundamentally, it's still earning money, but its earnings are declining. Okay, that's not good. Let's take a look. 6.6% dividend yield. Its cash dividend parish is 96. Its payout ratio is also 96. So basically, it's paying out 100%, nearly 100% of its earnings in dividends. And so it can't pay down that about $2 billion in debt on its balance sheet. You know, I don't love it. Technically, it's in a downtrend and it's not cheap. Enterprise value is about 10. That's not cheap. It's not expensive, but not cheap. And that paying a lot of dividends, so a lot out on the dividends. So I would avoid it. 888.99 chart, 888-992-4278. This is Invest Talk. To win, all effective investors use a process. And listeners call Invest Talk every day asking to share our winning process. And they too can win using the right analytical tools. Just what do we use as our everyday go-to research tool? Y charts. It's a cloud-based financial research platform. It is indispensable. YCharts has the powerful tools of a terminal combined with the ease of use of a modern website. We use YCharts every day. YCharts is easy to navigate, visually awesome, and informative. YCharts has filters driven by thousands of metrics, Excel integration, and data visualization to create charts that compare stocks, funds, indices, and more. If you're a serious investor, you'll understand that the precision functionality in YCharts is not free. But YCharts has more horsepower and by far better data and filters compared to giveaway tools from Yahoo or Google. YCharts is a fraction of the cost of something like Bloomberg Terminal. And now our listeners can try YCharts for free. You just heard Steve and Justin endorse YCharts. It's the lightning-fast research, data filter, and charting tool they use every day for their investment portfolios. Think about it. Steve is right. Free software cannot come close to the power, speed, ease of use, and practical functionality of YCharts. And serious investors understand that YCharts can pay for itself with just one or two targeted investment selections. So here's your chance to take advantage of a free trial and a generous YCharts discount. Start by mentioning InvestTalk when you go to YCharts.com. Get serious, get YCharts. This is InvestTalk. 
your decision-making process can benefit from practical and unbiased advice if you consult with Steve or Justin. And on May 1st, Steve Peasley will be in San Jose to offer complimentary portfolio review consultations. So don't miss this opportunity. Register now at investtalk.com. Justin Klein is here now taking your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Let's talk a little bit about Lyft. They fell below their IPO price of $72 a share on just their second day of trading, which if you go back and look at Snap and uh, Blue Apron, uh, these are names that pretty much uh, lost their IPO price rather quickly and are now trading in the doldrums. And Lyft has been valued on its IPO at about $20 billion. And the big question is, now that that is kind of, I don't want to say failed, but is looking like it's going to probably be cut in half or maybe more over the next uh, few months, because $20 billion and a company that's losing a billion dollars a year is just simply ridiculous, to be frank. So you have Uber also IPOing sometime this year, Pinterest, Postmates, Slack. These are all companies that are going to list their shares on the exchanges at some point this year. Now, Lyft, it had told investors during its roadshow that it was oversubscribed, oversubscribed. And so they raised their initial range from $72 to $68 a share to $72. So 10-ish uh, percent above kind of the midpoint of that that range. And they're already at 69, so almost back into that original range. And it just shows you these underwriters, their goal is to hype the stock, right? Because they, they don't get paid on what it was, what the price of the stock is after it trades. No. They get paid based on the IPO price, $72 a share, $20 billion valuation, et cetera. And there's different marks that they have to hit and they get a better commission, the better multiples to certain metrics that they get uh, for the for the name, for the, the company. So they're highly incentivized to value it very highly, right? Or get it up. Uh, in valuation on the market or in the IPO. And then the insiders who are selling also are very incentivized to get that price up as high as possible. So all those that are pushing the price up have all have themselves in mind, not you, the investor. This is why IPOs tend to fail because they tend to be overpriced. I'd say 99 out of 100 tend to be overpriced. And you know, I've been this thing for 15 plus years, 17 years, and it's extremely rare to find an IPO that is underpriced. Now, that doesn't mean that they're bad companies to invest in. Okay, Facebook it was a pretty big IPO flop, right? It traded well below its IPO price over the first couple of years that it was trading. And then once it figured out mobile advertising, when you know the the mobile Facebook app and and how to serve up ads in that way, 
its price turned around as well as the the uh, Instagram acquisition that was pretty smart as well. So doesn't mean that these companies are altogether bad investments forever. It just means that you need to get to a level that is more realistic, right? And the market tends to bring that down to that particular level. So the big question is, what is going to happen to these other companies? And what does this mean for the overall market? And this happened in the, the the early 2000, 2000, March 2000, there were some IPO flops that really kind of gave the market a scare uh, to where they traded down rather quickly and it suddenly became this thing where you don't just make money on every, every dot-com that you buy. And now the big question is, are investors going to make going to wake up and make and realize that they're not going to make money on every IPO that comes out especially if it's just tech related. Now we have time to fit in another caller question. This concerns a new investor and it came in earlier on 88899 chart. Hey there, thanks for taking my call. This is Travis from Virginia. I started working for a company about a year ago and um, started with their automatic 401k investment. And I've recently found your podcast and bumped up my contributions. And through that 401k, opened my own um, personal brokerage account. What I'm wondering is if I just had a few thousand dollars to start out, if I should invest that all in one stock or if I should try to diversify right off the bat and, you know, pick five or six. My concern is that it'd be such a low amount of shares if I diversified. Now, I just don't know if that's the best option um, for me or if I should, you know, pick one stock to invest in and then, you know, in a few months, I'll have a few thousand more, pick another one and build my portfolio that way. I just don't want to get slammed with transaction fees, you know, by only putting a few hundred into several different stocks and, you know, paying 495 each time takes out of my percent profit potential. So if you could just uh, help me out with that, I appreciate what you do. And uh, someone getting new to investing, I'm very excited and I learn a lot from your show. Thank you. All right, great question. Great question. Uh, there's a lot of new investors that are trying to allocate their money for the first time. And it is difficult uh, when you don't have the experience, you don't really know what to expect. Should you buy an ETF? Should you buy an individual stock? Should I buy a mutual fund? There's pros and cons to them all, right? You buy a, an individual uh, mutual fund or an ETF, you're going to get instant diversification. Uh, with a mutual fund, you can get a no-load fund often with no transaction fee. So that could be a way to go if you want to get that instant diversification. But if you're working on building a portfolio of stocks, and that's what your goal is long-term, then what I would do and I'll give you what I do in uh, my 401k, right? We have the same thing. We have a brokerage window, 401k, and no brokerage window where we can buy anything we want, right? So for me, I didn't start allocating money to individual stocks till I had about three or four thousand dollars to put in a name, and then that five dollar trading cost. I think back then it was seven. Now it's a now you know it was six ninety five. Now I think it's four ninety five. But then it, it didn't eat up that potential gain very much, right? Because if you buy 30 stocks at $300 each and you're paying 5 or $7 a, a pop, you know, that's not very efficient, not very effective. So I would go either 
two routes. One is buy the individual stocks, three to four thousand dollars per purchase, right? I know you're not going to be diversified right away, and if you're, but but if you're going to be continue to save and you're going to continue to build up that next three thousand rather quickly to buy another name, then you can start over time building out a diversified portfolio, right? Now, if you don't think you're going to be adding to that amount, then you need to be more diversified over a longer period of time. Then I would consider an individual mutual fund, something that's well diversified across different asset classes and, and you know, not narrowly focused on just like the tech industry or something like that. So it depends on what your, your long-term goal is, um, but I like the individual stock. That's the way I did it. I first out the gate, first three, 4,000, I bought an individual stock, actually, actually it was Apple, long, long time ago. And that was the way I, I went about it. So that would be my recommendation. So thanks for the call, good luck, and glad you're starting to save a lot and you upped your allocation uh, by listening to us, which we're happy to see, and that's our goal, is educate everybody to try to make little changes, many little changes, hopefully, over time to improve your long-term results. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we stream and broadcast Invest Talk live in the 4, to 4 o'clock Pacific Time hour each weekday. And it's also available 24 7 via our archived podcast at investtalk.com. And of course, you can listen, subscribe, rate, and review at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And I also live stream it on YouTube as well if you want to go there and subscribe to our channel. Still working out the, the process of it, but I think uh, it's working pretty well so far. So please go to all those channels and rate and review. And now the lines are open. We're taking your financial or investing questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com or reach out to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein by emailing or calling their Irvine, California office. The InvestTalk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open. Call with questions, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, 12 minutes left in the show. So give me a call ASAP if you have anything on your mind. Now, people who save 20% or more of their incomes typically do things a little differently than the average. And the big question is, what is that one thing? And this is from research from TD Ameritrade, who is also our broker, it just happens to be. And they looked at people who save 20% or more of their income, and they called them super savers. And it showed that they're on to one thing. And the single biggest difference between super savers is that they spent less on housing. 
Super savers spent just 14% of their incomes on housing, while on average, regular folks dropped 23% of their income on housing. Now, one of the reasons this is true is because they may see mortgage payments as expensive liabilities, so they try to limit them as much as possible, either, either putting a big down payment uh, down or paying that down over time, paying their mortgage down over time, and maybe getting rid of their, their mortgage. So this is the number one factor. I think it is because it's simple. Once you move and you change your monthly mortgage payment or your monthly rental payment to something lower, you don't have to think about it again. Right? You pay that every month just like you were when you were spending more. But if you try to skimp on little things like coffees and you know uh, little uh, eating out and things like that, you get fatigue. You got to decide constantly what is the right decision here. And yes, you might make the right decision fairly often, but not enough to make a major difference long term. Now, the average American household spends a total of roughly $60,000 per year uh, overall, and nearly 20% that of that is spent on housing. And I think the biggest way anybody can achieve this goal is simply to downsize. I know it's hard, or it may, might seem difficult, but really, you probably don't need nearly as much space as you have. New homes built in America today, on average, have a thousand more square feet than they did in the 1970s. So living space per person has doubled. So if you can, if people in the 70s could could have dealt with a thousand square feet less on average in their home you probably can do with maybe 500 square feet less. What has changed? Nothing much has changed about our lives, right? So don't be afraid to downside, downsize, I'm sorry, and understand that you don't need that bigger home typically. You don't need that extra bedroom. You might need to be in a safer neighborhood and better schools, things like that. But find ways to reduce your housing costs and that is going to catapult you into a situation that will make you a lot more able to save and reach whatever goals that you might have. Now we can squeeze in another caller question that concerns Macy's and it came in earlier on 888 chart Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Justin in North Carolina. Uh, I'm looking at Macy's, ticker symbol M. It looks like the, the stock is down quite a bit, it, and so the dividend is up over 6%. It looks like the, the payout ratio is pretty reasonable. I've read some things that suggest their uh, real estate assets may be worth more than even the, the stock itself. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts about Macy's. I know the retail space is tough, but, but what do you think about that as an investment going forward? Thanks. All right. He's looking at Macy's, and uh, I, I haven't done some a deep dive on Macy's and the real estate assets, but I, I understand the thesis absolutely. It's that yes, the retail the retail business is dying, but they own so much real estate that uh, they could sell it off, and they probably have been to combat losses that they've been dealing with for you know the last umpteen years. So uh, I get the I get the thesis. 
Uh, actually, they've been, making, they've been making money, just a lot less money than they were just uh, a few years ago. And earnings are expected in 2019 to be $4.01. And down to two dollars and ninety-five cents in 2021. Yield six point two percent. Earnings are, are down four percent year over year. Uh, last quarter revenue down three percent year over year. Let's take a look at the numbers a little bit more. Decent amount of debt. Yeah, they're only three billion dollar in debt, seven billion dollar market cap, and enterprise value to EBIT is four. So it is relative, relatively cheap. The payout ratio is decent. Uh, only fifty-seven percent of the cash dividend payout ratio. You know, I don't hate it. Uh, technically, it looks like it's bottoming. Uh, you know, I kind of like it. I know the retail space is tough, but I kind of like it. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. This hour seems to be moving fast, so give me a call. We have 10 minutes left at 888 chart. On the next Invest Talk, as Amazon heads for $2,000 a share, is the Lyft IPO a bust? That story tomorrow. But now Justin's here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. Being a day trader, I'm wondering, aside from just having a lot of money in your account, aside from uh, having not investing the full 100%, uh, there are times where I do invest my portfolio 100%. How do you avoid being selling a stock and then having to wait three days for it to settle before you can turn around and actually maybe repurchase the same stock? Is there something I'm missing there, and that way I won't be in violation of good faith, aside from just having a lot of money that I'm not investing? Is there another way as a day trader that I can avoid these violations? Appreciate your answer. Look forward to hearing, hearing it, and uh, I love your show. Thank you. Well, the easy answer is margin. You have a margin account, and then you can use more than 100% of your account on a given day, right? Uh, even if you have things settling or something like that. Uh, now, you might be talking about day trading in an IRA, and there are rules around that of how many times you can make kind of quick trades in an IRA. Uh, otherwise, they restrict you, um, and there's really no way around that. You know, that's just that's just a, a general uh, rule uh, that's out there. So, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise it either. Uh, I mean, our IRA isn't designed for day trading. Uh, you know, 90 plus percent of day traders tend to go bust uh, because they don't have discipline. Uh, and so, if maybe you're one of the few percentage that will work out, but typically that's not the best way you should invest your IRA. And that's why they have these rules is so you don't blow up your account uh, that's supposed to be designed for retirement, for saving, for building, as opposed to speculating, which that's kind of what day trading is. So hopefully it can help. Hopefully that helped. Uh, I know man, it's been the best answer, but if it's just a margin account though, or, or a brokerage account, you can use margin. You should be able to. 888 chart 888 We have two minutes left. Let's talk a little bit more about savings and maxing out your 401k. Uh, if you look at studies from Vanguard, only 13% of their participants max out their 401k. Fidelity, only 9.1% of the participants in Fidelity uh, plans max out their 401k. Remember, and a lot of people get confused about this, especially with our active 401k program. There's a difference between who is the administrator of your 401k 
the record keeper like a Fidelity or a John Hancock or a Vanguard and what your 401k is, what the name of your 401k is. Remember, they just because you have a Fidelity 401k doesn't mean that your 401k components are the same as somebody else or another company who has Fidelity as the record keeper uh, for that 401k. So understand that. So the they're surveying thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of different plans that they are the record keeper for. So it's very rare that people are maxing out their 401k, but there's one strategy that you can use to get there, and that is to start small and grow it and be consistent with that. So what I mean is get that full employee match, maybe uh, the first 5%, whatever that is, to get that full employer match. And then every year as you get raises, maybe you get a 3% raise or 2 or 5 or whatever that is, maybe take half of that. So if it's a 4% raise, increase your savings from maybe 5 to 7 and maybe the next year you get a 6% raise and then you go from 7 to 10, right? And the next year after that, it's a 2% raise. You go 10 to 11, right? And keep ticking that upwards so that eventually, 10 years from now, 12 years from now, 15 years from now, you're at a level where you're maxing out your contributions to your 401k and you're not feeling it because you've priced it in. You've budgeted for it, right? Once you have it out of your normal bank account, you're much more likely to hold on to it. Okay. So that is the number one strategy you could use to eventually max out your 401k. I understand that it's not that easy just to go and throw 15, 20, 25% of your income into your 401k, but it is possible if you start to adjust your budgeting and your lifestyle for that type of savings over time, right? Well, I'm Justin Klein, and that completes another Invest Talk program. And I thank you for your loyal support and questions. I'll be back, or no, Steve will be back tomorrow with you. So give him a call, ask your question on tomorrow's Invest Talk. Have a nice evening, everybody. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 